This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. That's a very powerful portrayal of Jesus entering into a broken world, um, pure, the Son of God, but encountering a people, people that are broken, sinful people, in order to take our sins into himself. And I, I appreciate the one scene where he's just standing at the staircase, and he looks up, and then he just starts one step after another, um, as if he's reflecting on the sacrifice that he is going to make and the people that he is going to make it for. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be reborn. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, um, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Redemption. This morning, we continue our sermon series, called Jubilee Life. And based upon the biblical celebration of Jubilee we've been talking about, fulfilled in Christ's work on our behalf, Jubilee Life is living out the riches that are found in Christ. Sabbath, redemption, freedom, forgiveness, restoration, and justice. A Jubilee Life experiences Christ's riches and then shares them with others. Jubilee pours through us, living Jubilee is the essence of a missionary life, of being on mission, on being on Christ's mission in this world. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw how Sabbath, which is a day, a time to cease then rest, is at the core of Jubilee. Creation's climactic moment was the act of stopping. And on the Sabbath, God is seeking, he's seeking for us to accept that he is at the controls and not us. However, before we can truly rest, we must experience redemption. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you. Let there be light, as they say. And so before we can truly rest, we must experience redemption. Before the Jews could rest, uh, the land was redeemed. Before a slave could rest, uh, they must be released. Before a family could rest, their inheritance must be reclaimed. And so before that, that horn was blown, the shofar and Jubilee declared the land and the people in it needed rescue, and they needed a second chance. And so Jubilee, redeeming people and possessions every seventh and 50th year, it looked forward to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us today, rest and rescue and freedom happen simultaneously. Christ redeems us and we rest in him. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now there's a, there's a role uh, in the Old Testament we find there. Um, it's described as a kinsman redeemer. Uh, the, the word used is goel. And goel means to redeem or to receive or buy back. And this will help us understand Jesus' uh, work as our redeemer. Provision was made in the law of Moses for a poor person who was forced to sell part of their property or themselves into slavery to be bought back. Uh, that person's nearest of kin had a right of redemption. They could step in and they could buy back what 
their relative was forced to sell by paying a redemption price. Leviticus 25, 25, it says, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. Uh, one example is the story of Ruth, where Boaz functions as a goel, as a kinsman redeemer. After the death of her husband, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, returned to Israel from Moab, and they had absolutely nothing. They were th the most exposed in that society uh, at that time. But there was a piece of land that belonged to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, uh, that she no longer controlled. Boaz came forward to not only redeem the, the land, but also to take responsibility for Ruth as his wife and continue Naomi's line, which ended up including King David and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so redemption was always possible through a kinsman redeemer. And this morning, we'll reflect on how the Lord Jesus is our king's, king's, uh, kinsman redeemer. And the, the role of the Lord Jesus, the work of the Lord Jesus, it very closely tracks uh, with the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. First of all, kinsman redeemer had to have the right to redeem. And Jesus has the right to redeem us. In the incarnation, he took on human flesh and he became our nearest kin. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so Jesus earned the right to redeem us because not only did he come in human flesh, but he perfectly fulfilled the law. Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Um, he alone, of all who have ever lived, perfectly fulfilled the law. Some people think they can achieve moral or spiritual perfection by living up to God's standards by their own efforts, what might be called a works kind of righteousness, but James in the New Testament reminds us, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And so the law is like a, a large pane of glass. It's not like a louver window that has individual panes. And so if just one sin just shatters the whole thing. Um, in other words, even a single sin, no matter how small, no matter when it was committed, is sufficient to separate a person from a holy God. And so what the law could not accomplish, Jesus did. And it was emblematic of that video and how he took sin into himself and nullified it in himself. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, but when the set time had fully come, so God had a timeline, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so the law reminds us that we cannot redeem ourselves. As Paul talked about it in Romans, it's a schoolmaster, it's like a tutor. The law teaches us that we can't, we cannot fulfill the law. We need a redeemer. Jesus came, he had the right to redeem us. Also, we see that Jesus had the ability to redeem us. He has the ability to redeem us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. A Christian historian named Houston Smith wrote a kind of a sem seminal work um, called The World's Religions. Um, and in it, uh, he, he described, he talked about how there are only two people 
who have lived, who astounded their contemporaries so much that the question they evoked was not who is he, but what is he? And these two are Jesus and Buddha. And the answers these two gave concerning their identity was exactly opposite. Buddha said unequivocally that he was a mere man, not a god, and almost as if he foresaw future attempts to deify him and worship him. Jesus, on the other hand, claimed to be God. He called himself the Son of God. He claimed to have the same nature as God, the exact representation of his being, as Hebrews puts it. So Jesus claimed, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus continually pointed people to himself, saying, come to me. Buddha said, don't look to me, look to my dharma, look to my doctrine. Uh, Buddha also said, be ye lamps unto yourselves, so be your own light. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the wor world. So Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, and every other religious founder performed no miracles and did not rise from the dead, but Jesus offered these sign miracles that we see recorded throughout the New Testament. And his resurrection was evidence of his divinity. Because Jesus is God, he has the power to redeem us. Religions were created to take bad people and make them better. But only one is qualified to take dead people and make them alive. And that's the Christian faith founded in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has, he has a right to redeem us. He has the ability to redeem us. A third thing about a kinsman redeemer that was essential is that they had to be willing. They had to be willing to pay the price of redemption uh, in order for that kinsman to be redeemed. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was Jesus's mission statement. That is why he came. And here Jesus is referring to his voluntary, vicarious and obedient sacrifice to save us. He offered himself willingly. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace, his grace extended for us that you have been saved. And so a person can have power, uh, but not the will. Back in the story of Ruth, if you're familiar with that, there was a nearer kinsman than Boaz uh, to Naomi and to Ruth. Um, and he was offered the right of redemption first. And so Boaz arranged to meet him in the city gate, and he said, you know, here is your kinsman. Elimelech had this property. Do you wish to redeem it? He said, yes. And then Boaz informed him that Ruth goes along with this deal. So you're going to have to marry Ruth, and you're going to have to continue the line of, of, of Elimelech through, through Ruth. And at that point, he said, I'm not going to do it. He was concerned about his inheritance for his other children, may have had a wife that wasn't real crazy about a new person in the household, and so he refused it. And he handed out his, handed his sandal to Boaz, which was an ancient way of saying, all right, here, it's yours, you do it. And he did. Boaz redeemed Ruth. And Jesus had both the power and the will, motivated by perfect love, to redeem, to redeem us. So he had the will. It's what he came for. He had the right to redeem us, the ability, and also the will to redeem us. And then Jesus paid the full price for our redemption. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Now, the thing about redemption is that redemption is purposeful. 
Redemption is always from something to something. God didn't rescue Ruth to keep her happy and fed. There was purpose to the second chance that she received through Boaz, as evidenced in her line. Uh, God didn't rescue the Jews from Egypt just so they could hang out safely in the promised land. Rest in the land was intended by God as a, a base. It was their base to become a kingdom of priests, to become a holy nation, to fill the world with holiness, justice, and love. They were the chosen ones, the chosen people to represent God in this world. When we're redeemed and rest in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is our promised land, he is our Sabbath rest, uh, it isn't a static attainment that frees us to just live our lives in the way that we wish. It's not just like, well, I got mine, and there's certain things I don't have to worry about anymore. I've got this confidence about my future. Well, that's a wonderful thing to experience. But he redeems us because he has something for us to experience, and he has something for us to do. And we see this in one of the great stories of redemption, uh, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And so this is a, a redemption story. And we, we see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in a person's life. You're probably familiar with Paul's story, but let me go over it briefly. Paul's early life was marked by religious zeal and brutal violence, uh, just the relentless persecution of the early church. He was born in Tarsus, modern-day Turkey. His parents were fervent Jewish nationalists. They adhered strictly to the law of Moses, and they sought to protect their son from being contaminated in any way from Gentiles. And so they raised him. If, if you want to think about something that would kind of align with where Paul was at at this point in his life, think of ISIS. Think of this, this radicalism and this kind of focused hatred on a group. At 13, Saul was sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel, under whom he mastered the Torah, the Psalms, and the prophets. So he had a rigorous biblical education. He went on to become a lawyer, and all signs pointed to him becoming a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court of 71 men who ruled over Jewish life. He was zealous for his faith, and this faith did not allow for any compromise whatsoever. And it is this zeal that led Saul down this path of religious extremism. But Paul's pivot is recorded in Acts chapter 9. And it recounts his meeting with Jesus there on the road to Damascus. Saul was angered by what he had seen. He was filled with murderous rage toward Christians. And before departing on his journey, he asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for permission to uh, accost and arrest Christians uh, called followers of the way at that time and to drag them back to Jerusalem in order for them to be imprisoned. And on the road, Saul was caught in this bright light from heaven that caused him to just fall face down on the ground. And he heard the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replied, well, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus answered directly and clearly. He said, I am Jesus. This is personal, Saul. I'm the one that you're persecuting. That's how much God, that's how much the Lord Jesus identifies with his followers. And from that moment on, Saul's life was turned upside down. Saul became Paul uh, moved from a prideful quest to just root out Christianity to becoming a key player in actually establishing the Christian church. And Paul went from hurting people to helping people, from being a hindrance to showing others the way. And he focused his deep knowledge and his amazing rhetorical skills uh, towards sharing the gospel. Um, most of the New Testament letters were written by Paul. 
And his remarkable story repeats itself every day as broken people are transformed by God's saving grace uh, in, the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's Paul's redemption story. And the question for us this morning is what is ours? Because God redeems us from something to something. He redeems us to experience these riches in Christ. And when we come together and we, we worship and we sing the, these amazing songs that we've sung this morning, we are celebrating in the riches that have come to us to the Lord Jesus Christ in his kindness and in his, his love. But there is another step in this process. Uh, if we have a redemption story, well then how is that impacting others? If Jesus set us free, then how are we using it? Jubilee life, it's a lifestyle. And the rest and redemption, the freedom and forgiveness we enjoy in Christ, these are signs of the kingdom of God. And when we share them with other people, then we become signs of the kingdom. When a follower of Christ lives into the life of Christ and forms their life in his life, that is a sign of the kingdom of God. That is a sign that there's a kingdom person here, and that's a sign that this kingdom is continuing to grow. Redemption stories. Redemption stories are really everywhere when you begin to think about it. And we need to think about what our redemption story is. We need to think about the salvation that we've received and how is God wishing to multiply it through us. Recently, I met with someone from the Mountain View congregation, and I just met to hear about their experience of being a resource family in the foster care system. So they've gone through all the processes with foster care to be a family that can receive kids on a temporary basis. And uh, they got their first two kids, a 15-year-old uh, teenage girl and a two-year-old or two-year-old brother. And I'm not really sure what the issues were in the home, but they were taken out of the home and they were placed with them for just six weeks, for just six days, actually. And it just, you know, just the, just as just reflecting on their willingness to allow that to really shape not their schedules, to shape their lives, uh, to be present in court dates down in San Jose. And then the kids are taken just six days after. But they rejoiced in it. They rejoiced in it. Is there anything more redemptive than caring for displaced kids? Really? Some of you have adopted children. Well, you're redeemed people living redemption. There are folks that volunteer at Bayshore Christian Ministries, an organization in East Palo Alto that we partnered with for many years. Tutoring at-risk kids after school. Uh, there's a number from both of our campuses involved in a robotics program that provides kids an opportunity to excel. These are redeemed people living redemption. There are Sunday school teachers. There's youth workers committed to young people experiencing Christ's love and truth through them. These are redeemed people living redemption. There's a growing number of folks within our community taking their faith into correctional facilities to share the freedom and forgiveness that they have found in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by training prisoners life skills. These are redeemed people living redemption. There are folks caring for the growing homeless population in our cities by distributing cold weather kits and tutoring homeless kids after school. There are, these are redeemed people living redemption. There are folks banding together to care for, for elderly uh, in neighborhoods and convalescent homes, elderly people who have little or no family. 
I mean, the ones that are just very quiet and often hidden in our society. These are redeemed people living redemption. They're seeing these people and they're offering their lives. Um, there are many who financially support kids in a variety of ways. Some ways that our church has done it is through the Garden of Love and Hope in Honduras, this day orphanage. Uh, also, uh, Compassion International. Well, these are redeemed people living redemption. There are tech workers in the valley who see their work group as their parish and minister to their co-workers as Christ's representative. They've accepted a whole other layer beyond just accomplishing this work. But they are, they are looking into and being available for the lives of the people that they work with. These are redeemed people living redemption. They're entrepreneurs that establish, they're establishing human-centered companies that focus on the needs of workers as they pursue cutting-edge technologies. These are redeemed people living redemption. There are musicians who apply their skills to bring people into a personal experience with Christ through music. These are redeemed people living redemption. There are folks who share the gospel with others living in a culture that's hostile to it. And they do it because they know that it's in their best interest to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, and to follow Jesus Christ. These are people that are redeemed and they are living into their redemption. Now, I could go on and on, but I hope you get my point <laughs> this morning. God redeems us from something to something. And so the question is, what is your redemption story. How is this flowing through you? How is your life a sign that Jesus is alive? How is your life in Christ good news to others? The reason we've called this series Jubilee Life, and we've taught on Jubilee in, in past years, is because we felt like we wanted to get out of just the biblical teaching um, and really understanding biblically this Jubilee legislation in the Old Testament. And actually take it and it's like, well, so, so, so what? <laughs> so what difference does it make? How does it flow through us? And in order for us to be redeemed people who are living redemption, we need to celebrate our redemption. That's why it's important to gather together on Sundays. But this is not so much a landing strip as a launching pad. I mean, we're here for a few hours on a Sunday, and then there's the whole week. The question is, what are we doing in that week? How, how are we taking the love that we have received from the Lord Jesus and the, the rest that we have in him and the meaning that it brings to our lives? How is, that, how is that passing through with our immediate family, with with our neighbors, with the people that we work with? As we drive around and we see the hurts in this world, how is the Holy Spirit talking to us about those things? What is he calling us? What is he calling us to? We're redeemed from something to something. We're gonna celebrate communion now. And communion is our opportunity to reflect on this redemption. Uh, this is our opportunity every, in every worship service here uh, to go back and to look at the, at the story, to go back to the plot, and to remember again that the Lord Jesus Christ in all his purity came into this world and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinless death and he did it for us. He did it so that we could turn from that darkness that you saw just in the clothing in the video um, to being pure as a driven snow in him. That's our position in the Lord Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice if we've accepted it. And if we have, I'd like you to reflect 
this morning as you take the elements, what are you doing with it? How is that flowing through you? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we're grateful. Well, we're beyond grateful. We don't have words, Lord, that would truly reflect the appreciation, the gratitude, the thanksgiving that is, that is in our hearts. Lord, we often live our lives without reflecting on this. I mean, we're just trying to get by so oftentimes the busyness of life and all the different things that we have to do. But Lord, this is, this is the story. This is what we have to come back to. This is home base for us. What the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, as we go and we serve and we live out this redemption, we don't do it so that we can be saved. We do it because we're saved. These are results of the gospel transforming our lives. And so, Father, may we be open in, in every day, in every way, to how you're speaking to, to us about this, how you're talking into our life through the Spirit, the things that you're calling us to do. God, may our hearts break like Jesus' heart broke. May we be pressed, Father. May we feel this urgency to extend the same love and grace so that others around us can experience this freedom and this rest, and this redemption that we have as well. Father, for the Lord Jesus, we thank you. And as we take these elements this morning, uh, Father, we thank you again. We thank you that Jesus gave his life for us. May we give our life for him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.